my privilege to introduce you this morning to our guest speaker, Strat Goodhue. Uh, Strat, if you could just come on up here. Strat uh, spoke last night in our missions banquet, and uh, God gave his words piercing effects to our hearts. Uh, Strat grew up in Hawaii and uh, on the, the island out there. Which island were you on? Oahu. And uh, grew up out there. And he actually, I asked him how he liked the snow and the cold here. He said he liked it. So he's lying. I hate <laughs> He has to be lying. He's only, yeah. So we're, we're glad that Strat is here. Uh, Strat was an assistant pastor in a church of light and uh, uh, felt something missing in his life, even though he was a Christian and serving the Lord. And, and he came across this book that many of you have been reading, Revolution and World Missions. I wish I had a copy of it to show to you, but uh, it's a book a lot of us have been reading, and it, it changed his life. It, God spoke to him through that and uh, pierced his heart, and, and he was called from being an assistant pastor in the Church of Hawaii to serving on staff with Gospel for Asia, which is who he represents. He's the, one of the church, uh, church relations um, people with Gospel for Asia. And he spoke to us last night, and just a blessing, talking about especially the things God's doing in Asia, which are just, you know, blow you away when you hear about what God's doing around the world. So, Strat, we are glad to have you here. Thank you for coming. Well, thank and you. God's word. Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Well, I'd like to, first of all, just thank you all very much for your partnership uh, as a ministry on behalf of Gospel for Asia and 14,000 missionaries uh, in working in 10 countries on behalf of uh, thousands and thousands of people who will be uh, impacted by your giving to the tsunami relief effort. I'd like to thank you. Uh, as uh, Tim mentioned this morning, $23,000 has already been raised in the church to go uh, help victims of the tsunami. And our resources go very far over there. And there's just going to be a whole lot of people uh, being helped. And, and before I uh, get into the message this morning, um, maybe we can, uh, we're just going to go ahead and watch a, a short DVD that has uh, some about the tsunami relief that Gospel for Asia is doing. And um, uh, it shows a little bit of the relief effort. So if we're ready, we can go ahead and watch that. For GFA workers in South Asia's tsunami relief camps, it is a time to bind up the brokenhearted and comfort those who mourn. Millions of people from India and Sri Lanka are crying out for their dead. Sons, daughters, mothers, fathers, all lost in the killing waves that swept away their lives and drowned the hopes of those they left behind. Funerals and mass graves mark a human toll of biblical proportions, with more than 150,000 people losing their lives to the waves. The physical destruction is overwhelming. Homes destroyed. Possessions swept away. For thousands of poor fishermen, their only way of making a living is gone. Their boats have been destroyed, their nets lost to the waters waters that once provided them their food and their way of life. And now the only water left to them is stagnant, polluted, unusable, a harbor for disease and death. The physical toll from the tsunami is also visible in the bodies of the survivors. These two are victims, 
their lives spared, but their bodies scarred forever. Most devastating of all is the emotional toll on those left behind. For more than 10 million people across Asia, joy is a distant memory, and their hopes for the future were crushed by the power of the all-consuming waves. Their greatest fear now is not of the tragic past or the difficult present, but of a future without hope. But because of the prayers and gifts of thousands of believers around the world, there is hope. Today, in refugee camps and amid the rubble, the light of God's hope is shining into this physical and spiritual darkness. It is the hope found in Jesus Christ, and it is coming to the suffering men and women of Asia through the tireless work and compassionate hearts of more than 1,000 workers from GFA Compassion Services. Before any outside organization could make its way to the devastated coastlines of India or Sri Lanka, these GFA native missionaries were already on the scene, providing life-saving aid in the name of Christ. A cup of pure water, a few clothes in the name of Jesus. The message that God loves you and is with you, even in the midst of untold tragedy. This is the relief ministry of Gospel for Asia. And at a time when the whole world is focused on providing emergency aid for Asia's tsunami survivors, our workers are offering more than a quick fix to those who've lost so much. They are bringing long-term solutions to their deepest needs. GFA was one of the first on this tragic scene, and we will be there long after others have moved on to the next disaster. We invite you to join us today. Help make a lasting difference in the lives of Asia's tsunami victims through your prayers and gifts to Gospel for Asia's Compassionate Services. That shows a little of it. Um, just to let you know, as far as what your relief uh, support is going for, uh, we're giving out food, medicine, clothing, uh, water. And we're also printing tracts, uh, thousands of tracts that are written specifically for people that have gone through the tsunami. And we're putting these tracts in packets with New Testaments and other information, and we're giving them out. And it's been amazing to see what the Lord has been doing. We've seen villages that were previously closed to the, the gospel and beating up missionaries and kicking them out. Now these villages are welcoming missionaries with open arms, and we've seen a number of churches already planted just in a month's time. It's uh, wonderful to see uh, you know, what the enemy wants to use for evil, the Lord wants to use for good, and he's turning it around, and, and many people are coming to Christ. And it's, uh, We've heard stories of people that are given food, and after they get the food, they say, well, thank you, this keeps me alive today, but what about tomorrow? What about my life? I've lost my life. I've lost everything. And uh, it, as we could imagine, it, it would be horrible to lose your family, your house, your job, your, just everything. And, and um, but God is doing an awesome work in helping people. And just to let you know, uh, if you'd like to give to the tsunami relief efforts, uh, 100% of all the gift goes directly to the field to uh, help those victims of the tsunami. Nothing is taken out for administrative expenses. Uh, and um, so anyway, well, why don't we? Um, uh, I could share a little bit. Uh, about how I got here. As um, Pastor Jeremy said, I was on staff of a church out in Hawaii. I started getting more serious with the Lord in prayer and uh, just telling him that I know time is short. I'd just seen little. I was very involved in ministry in the church, but I just saw little bits of fruit from different areas of my life. And 
And I, I was teaching apologetics. I was helping with the Bible college. I was doing street evangelism, very involved in ministry. But there was just a little fruit here, a little there, a little there. And I started getting desperate in prayer and just saying, Lord, I know time is short. And I want to bring as many people to heaven as I can with my life. And the Lord very clearly led my wife and I to join the ministry of Gospel for Asia. So about five years ago, uh, we left Hawaii and moved to beautiful Dallas, Texas. Um, still no amens, no, uh, no Texans here. Anyway, <laughs> we, uh, it's, uh, it's beautiful for us. There's no snow, but other than that, it's uh, nice. In fact, my wife is going to be uh, quite uh, envious when I tell her that not only did I uh, get to be with a bunch of wonderful people, but uh, that I got to be in the snow here. She's uh, going to be envious in Hawaii, you know, it's white. Oh, this is exciting. We don't have to shovel it, you know, from our driveway. So, but uh, we just see snow in the movies in Hawaii. So, <laughs> but anyway, uh, so about five years ago, we moved to Dallas and joined the staff, and it's just been a real blessing. There's about 80 of us, 80 of us that serve in the U.S. office which is basically a link between uh, thousands of supporters here in the West and uh, 14,000 missionaries uh, in Asia. And we're working, uh, reaching the most unreached areas. We've got our whole goal is to plant churches, to preach the gospel and plant churches in unreached villages. And right now we're working in 10 countries, uh, India, China, Bhutan, Bangladesh, Burma, Nepal, Sri Lanka. Uh, we just in the last few months sent workers into Laos, Cambodia, and Thailand as well. And We've got uh, 54 training centers in these 10 countries where we train people for three years and then send them out to reach their own people with the gospel. So they already speak the language, they know the culture, they're used to living the same standard of living as the people they're reaching out to, and it's just a wonderful work that the Lord is doing. But, um, why don't we pray before we get into God's Word this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the awesome God, and you are worthy to be served and praised and Lord, we just thank you that we can gather together freely in this country. We can gather and worship you. And, and Lord, we just pray that you would use this time in each of our lives. Lord, give us ears to hear your voice, Lord. We love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, turn with me, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 3. It's amazing uh, to do studies of end-time prophecy and and we're not going to be getting in depth uh, in that this morning, but just taking a look at a couple of verses that talk about the last days. And it's, it's amazing to see all the prophecies being fulfilled around the world when we see Israel being regathered as a nation and all these things that Scripture says are going to happen in the last days. We see these things happening in our lifetime, and we know that, uh, as Scripture says, truly time is short, and uh, we know the Lord is going to be coming back soon. And Second Peter 3 uh, the Lord tells us about what's going to happen in the last days. In Second uh, Peter 3, 7, he says, But the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And it's interesting. He says that the present heavens and earth by his word are being reserved for fire. You know, you go into a restaurant and you see a sign on the table and it says reserved, and maybe it'll have the people's name reserved for, for Jones. And, you know, well, this earth could have a sign on it that says reserved for fire. And you know, the first time the Lord judged the earth, it was with water. He flooded the entire earth. And the next time it's going to be with fire. And picking up in verse 10, he says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. And we know that when the Lord repeats himself, when he says something more than once, he really wants us to get it. 
And we see here he's repeating himself three or four times where he says in verse 7, the heavens and the earth are being reserved for fire. In verse 10 again, he says that the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Verse 11, all these things are to be destroyed in this way. Verse 12, on account of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with an intense heat. He repeats himself over and over, letting us know everything around us is going to burn. And maybe you've heard that statement, you know, something goes wrong and, and, you know, the car breaks or something and somebody says, well, it's all going to burn. You know, well, it's not just a glib saying. It all is going to burn. Everything around us. And, and as Americans, it's so easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that this is life. This is the world. Everything we see around us, this is what, what should make up our lives. But we know from God's Word that everything around us eventually is going to burn. And, and I it came into your, your beautiful town and it's just admiring the, the older houses and what a beautiful area. And, but I think, you know, all these houses built in the 16, 17, 1800s, there's going to be a day when they're all going to burn. And where a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now, where's our car going to be? Where's our job going to be? Where's our house? Where's all those things that we may have worked so hard for in this life? Where's our position? You know, it's all going to burn. We're just passing through here. Life is so temporary and so short. And we want, to, we want to keep that in mind. And in verse 11, he says, Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be? And you know, as we look around us in the world today, we see so much suffering. And, and in this country, where we see suffering in this country and, and drug addicts and crack babies. And, and it's just it's tragic. In, in, in Bombay and in India, there's a slum there with five million people in it. And the slum in, in many countries, like India, are nothing compared to what one of our slums would be like. In Bombay slum, every, every morning, there's people that drive, they take trucks into that slum, and their job is to pick up the bodies of babies and people and children that have died overnight to take them out of that slum. There's one toilet for every 800 people in that slum. You'd have to wait for weeks in line to use the toilet once. It's just a horrible, filthy place. You, get, you go into that slum... I, I got to visit there, and you, you have to plug your nose. It smells so badly. Five million people living in this slum. K.P. O'Hanan, the, the president and founder of Gospel for Asia, was on a plane recently, and he had a London newspaper. He was looking at the front page, and it had a photograph of a little boy lying in the street of the Bombay slum. And he, he looked closely, and the, the boy was lying next to a dog. And he looked closer and saw that the boy was drinking the milk from the dog. The caption under the picture said, This dog is this boy's mother. There are over 100,000 children in that one slum who have no idea who their parents are. 100,000 homeless children. People don't have enough money to buy food. They, they can't supply, provide for their children, so they just have to kick them out of the home and hope that they work, hope that they're able to survive. And it's, it's just tragic. When you think the only thing that's keeping this little boy alive is a stray dog, is this little boy less special than our children? Is there something more special about us? Does God not care about this little boy? Does God not care about 100,000 homeless children in that one slum or millions of people in, in that slum that, that dig through trash heaps to try to find food to eat? And it's, it's just tragic. And you look around the world and you see what sin has done to this world and the suffering. And you say, how long, Lord? How long is this going to go on? And, and Scripture tells us that creation groans under the weight of it, waiting for the redemption of the sons of glory. That, that it, it, it's just tragic. One day, 
this, there's going to be an end to the suffering. And we know that ultimately theirs is going to be judged with fire. And the Lord is going to come back and he's going to take us to heaven because we've put our trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to go to a place that's so awesome we can't even imagine it. Scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And we're going to be in heaven. What an, what an awesome thought. But there are so many people on this planet that have no idea who Jesus Christ is. So many people haven't even heard his name yet, much less heard the gospel. And, you know, you, you think, we say, well, okay, so there's 100,000 children on the slums of Bombay, uh, you know, that are homeless. There's millions of people in that one slum, and, and millions and millions around the world. Half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. What can I do about that? How can I, you know, if I gave all my money, it's just a drop in the bucket. It's not going to do a thing. They hardly do anything for, for, compared to the suffering in this world. And, you know, it's interesting. In, in verse 12, there's an amazing statement. He says, we should be looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. We should be looking for that day, not looking at the things of this world, but looking at the things beyond, looking at heaven, saying, here comes that day. The Lord is coming back. We want to, and, and he says, we want to be looking for that day, and we should be hastening that day. And the first few times I read that scripture, I thought, well, Surely God doesn't mean what he says there. We should hasten the coming of the day of God. We should speed it up. And I, but we know that God means every word that he says. So if he says that we can speed it up, we can shorten the time of suffering on this earth, that, that we have a role to play in that. And he say, well, how can I hasten the coming of the day of God? How can I speed that up? Well, I'm glad you asked, and, and, or maybe someone was just about to ask. But uh, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 24. And Jesus is talking about the last days and the disciples had asked him, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And, and Jesus is talking about the very last days and, and we know we're living in the end times. And Jesus, in, in verse 10, uh, he says, they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. And at that time, many will fall away and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And because lawlessness is increased, verse 12, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the, in the world, in the whole world, for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. So it's interesting. You think of the time clock. You think of what's going to happen right at the end before the Lord comes back. This is the last thing. He says, this gospel shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all the nations, and then the end shall come. And that's where you and I come in. That's how we can hasten the, hasten the coming of the day of God, how we can shorten the time of suffering on this earth. Each one of us, you and I, are the, we are the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his eyes. We are his mouth. The ones he wants to use to get the gospel out. We are the ones that God has commissioned, that he has called to reach the world with the gospel. And you know, for most of my Christian life, I thought that we were doing a pretty good job of preaching the gospel and, and going to all the nations, as, as Scripture commands us to do. And I knew there were some villages, remote villages, that hadn't yet been reached with the gospel, but I thought for the most part, we're, we're doing a good job of, of getting the word out there. But you know, it, it, it's tragic to think that today, that right around 3 billion people on our planet have no idea who Jesus Christ is. 3 billion people. Half of our world's population is unreached with the gospel. These are the generation, this is our generation, the ones we are called to reach. If we're not going to reach them, who's going to reach them? And it's tragic to think about it. 
In India alone, there's over 500,000 villages where never once has a Christian walked into that village with even a single gospel tract. Half a million villages. There's an area in, in North India called Hardwar, and the Ganges River runs through Hardwar. And there's a festival there every three years. It's called the Kumbh Mela Festival. And this is the largest gathering of people in the world. About 30 million Hindus will go to this festival. And these, these Hindus believe that if they bathe in the Ganges River, maybe their sins will be cleansed. But the truth is the Ganges River is just a filthy, polluted river. The industrial waste, the human waste, there's tens of thousands of partially cremated bodies that are thrown in that river every year because they think it's a holy river. They think it originates in heaven. And it's just a, a, a filthy place. And this is where the enemy of, our, enemy of our souls has millions of people go thinking maybe if we bathe in this river, maybe our sins will be cleansed. So they have a vague concept of sin, but they don't know about the river of life that they can go to to get that cleansing. There's a gospel preacher missionary named Varghese, and he's there at the river. He's passing out tracts and sharing the gospel with people. He's risking his life to be there because many of the most radical Hindus are there for this festival. Many of them would gladly kill somebody from another religion as an offering to their gods or goddesses. But Varghese knows there are millions of people there, never even heard the name of Jesus. So he's risking his life. He's passing out tracts. He comes around a bend in the river, and there's a man and a woman, a couple there, as he comes around a corner, and the woman is kneeling by the edge of the river, and she's wailing and crying uncontrollably. Varghese walks up to her, and he says, Forgive me, but I, I see that you're really upset. He said, Is there anything I can do to help? The woman said, No. She says, My husband has tuberculosis. He hasn't been able to work in months. We have no food in our house. We have so many problems in our lives. And we know that our problems are caused by our sins. Our sins are so many. She said, To get forgiveness of our sins, we just came down here to this river to give the best possible gift that we could to Goddess Ganges. She said, I just threw my six-month-old baby in that river. Varghese shared the gospel with her. He told her that Jesus suffered and died for her sins. This woman listened to the whole thing. She prayed. She received the Lord. And then she started crying again. And Varghese said, I'm sorry. He said, did I say something that offended you? The woman said, no. She said, I've never heard this before. She said, why couldn't you have come half an hour sooner? I wouldn't have had to throw my baby in that river. And I don't think that I can paint a more accurate picture of what it's like for half of our world's population. You know that today the Ganges River is littered with the bodies of babies of people that are so desperate to find forgiveness of their sins, but they've never even heard the name of Jesus Christ, much less heard the gospel. Half of our world is waiting to hear the gospel. We all know what happened in the World Trade Center in New York. What a tragedy. 3,000 people were killed that morning. What a tragedy for those, those people and for their families and for, the, for this country. And yet, you know, there's a far worse tragedy happening every day because it's not 3,000 people. Every day, on average, it's about 80,000 people that die that are unreached with the gospel. And you know, Jesus talked about heaven and hell. He talked about Lazarus and the rich man. When the rich man died, he was in torment and the agony and the flames, and he was screaming out for one drop of water. Well, you know that man has been in torment for almost 2,000 years, and he still hasn't got that drop of water. And you know, a million years from now, that man is going to be in the lake of fire that burns forever, and he still won't have that drop of water. A million years from now. Who knows what he's going to be crying out? I just want to die, I just want to die, I just want to die. But he'll already have gone through the second death. There'll be no death. That will be death. It'll be eternity. 
that that man will be screaming and crying out in torment. And he will be utterly alone. But he won't be the only one there. There will be billions of people in hell. Jesus said, narrow is a way that leads to life and few are those who find it. And broad is a way that leads to destruction. Many are those who go thereby. That's why you and I need to be radical. That's why we need to be like Jesus. Not looking at the things of this world. Not living for the things that are so temporary. But living for the things of eternity. You know, do we care that there's a town in Japan with 40,000 people and there's, there's probably nine believers in the whole, in the whole city? 40,000 people? And I challenge you, you know, have you shed a tear for the lost world lately, for our neighbors and friends and family members that are dying and going to hell if they don't receive Jesus Christ? Hell is forever. And, and I just want to, to, to challenge you this morning to, to keep that in mind, that heaven and hell are forever and they are real. While we're in heaven for eternity, there will be billions of people in hell. And we want to live today like Jesus. We want to be consumed with a passion to reach the lost. And, you know, it's, a, it's amazing when you look around us and you see so many people have yet to be reached with the gospel. We know that it's, it's not God's will that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And God has given us the privilege of reaching our neighbors with the gospel while there's still time and reaching people around the world with the gospel we know that he doesn't want anybody to perish. And you know, out of the 3 billion unreached people on our planet, 97% of them live in an area called the 1040 window. And this is an area that stretches from 10 degrees to 40 degrees latitude on the map. goes from, from Korea and, and China over to Western Africa and includes India and the Muslim nations. 97% of the unreached people on our planet live in that area there. And you know that some of us this morning... The Lord might lead us to go and to, to, to serve as missionaries in those countries. And I challenge you to pray and ask the Lord if he would call you to go. The fields are so ripe for harvest. Many people are very open to the gospel. But, but nobody's going. Three billion unreached people. Eighty thousand a day are dying that are unreached with the gospel. And you know, even if all of us went, the job is huge with three billion people to reach. And you know that out of those 97% of the unreached people on our planet in that 1040 window that 80% of those countries that they live in are closed to Western missionaries. Countries like India, China, Bangladesh, Iran, Iraq, where if we were to try to get a visa to go into these countries, they'd say, you say, we want to come and tell your people about Jesus. The, the government would say, no, thank you very much. We have our own gods. You keep your God at home. And, and praise God that he calls people to go and get jobs as teachers or doctors, as nurses, and, and to move into these countries and to be reaching out. But we'd have to go in there, get a job, and, and not too publicly, we could be winning some people to the Lord. And what a wonderful calling and a wonderful thing that the Lord does in sending people over there. But we couldn't get set up on a street corner with a megaphone and just preach a gospel on a, a street corner in Iran. They'd, they'd kick us out of the country. And it, with three billion people to reach, how are we going to reach them? And God is raising up an army of what we call native missionaries. God wants many of us to go, and I challenge you about praying. I challenge you to pray about going. But he is raising up an army at the same time of people that are from these countries. As I said, they speak the language, they know the culture, they're living the same standard of living as those people they're reaching out to. And these are brothers and sisters who are willing to die if need be to reach the lost. And they take the Great Commission seriously. What God has called us to preach the gospel all creation, God is raising up an army of people to do that. And like one brother named Sam, he's in a training center in northern India. He's getting ready to go out on the mission field full-time. And the leader asked him, he said, Sam, where is God telling you to go? Sam said, to Bundi. And Bundi is a town in northern India that K.P. Ohanan, the president of Gospel for Asia, had gone to 20 years earlier as a, as a missionary with Operation Mobilization. And when Brother K.P. and the, the team of missionaries went into Bundi, 
the people of Bundi took all their Christian materials, they made a pile out of it, and they burned them, and then they beat the team and stoned them. And, you know, I'd read through several times where Paul was beaten and stoned, and one day I started thinking about it. Having an angry mob of people picking up rocks and throwing them at you. I mean, they're not sponges, you know, they're all hard. And I thought, ah, no, thank you. Well, Brother KP and the team went back to Bundy seven times. Every time they were beaten and stoned for trying to preach the gospel there. In fact, a couple of months before Sam is graduating from the training center, another missionary and his wife and two kids went into Bundy. The people of Bundy took that missionary and they chopped his head off. So when Sam told the leader, God is telling me to go to Bundy, the leader tried to talk him out, but he said, Sam, they kill missionaries in Bundy. He said, if you go to Bundy, they'll probably kill you, Sam. Sam said, I've been praying for Bundy for two years since I came into this training center. I know that's where God is telling me to go. I have to go to Bundy. So they prayed for Sam, sent him into Bundy. He rented a hut for $5 a month. He'd been there for a couple of days, preaching the gospel and passing out tracts. He was sleeping in the middle of the night. These five guys burst into his hut with one huge guy with a turban on his head, Rajput Indian guy, picked Sam up by one ankle and held him upside down with one hand. He said, I could tear you in half like a chicken. He said, we know why you're here. We don't need your God here. We have plenty of gods in Bundy, and we don't need yours. He said, if you're here tomorrow, we'll kill you. He said, I will tear you in half like a chicken. And he dropped Sam on his head on the ground, and Sam took off running in the middle of the night. He got back to the training center and told the leader everything that had happened. And the leader said, Sam, did God tell you to go to Bundy? And Sam said, well, well, yes, I know he did. And the leader said, well, then, Sam, you need to go back to Bundy. And Sam said, I can't go back to Bundy. Those five guys are going to kill me. One huge guy with a turban on his head, he's going to tear me in half like a chicken. I can't go back to Bundy. No way. The leader said, Sam, if God told you to go to Bundy, if he put Bundy on your heart, Sam, you need to go back. They need to hear the gospel in Bundy, Sam. He said, when you go back, dig your grave on the outskirts of town so they'll have some place to throw your body. And when you're dead, Sam, you're going to be in heaven with Jesus. And heaven is a much better place than Bundy. So Sam went back, dug his grave on the outskirts of town, went in, began passing out tracts on the street. He'd been there for a couple of days. He'd been there, I'm sorry, this time for a couple of hours. These same five guys came up to him on the street. The huge guy with a turban on his head picked Sam up. He walked up in front of him, started to grab him. He said, you know what? He said, you're making a murder out of me. He said, I told you I would tear you in half like a chicken. I told you we would kill you. He said, get ready to die. And Sam said, you can go ahead and kill me. He said, I dug my grave on the outskirts of town. You can throw my body in there. And he said, when I'm dead, he said, I'm going to be in heaven with Jesus, and heaven is a much better place than Bundy. He said, but with every breath that I have, I'm going to tell you about the love of Jesus. And he went on to try to preach the gospel to these guys. Well, they beat him, but they didn't kill him. A few months later, Brother KP was back in his, Dallas and, uh, back in his office in Dallas, where I serve, and he got a call from the leader of the training center. And the leader said, Brother KP, he said, we want you to come to Bundy. And Brother KP said he wanted to hang up the phone. You know, he remembered Bundy, you know. And the leader said, no, he said, we want you to come inaugurate the first church in Bundy. So Brother KP went back just a couple of months after Sam had gotten to Bundy. It was a Saturday night prayer meeting, about 100 new believers there. Sam is pointing people out to Brother KP. He said, Brother KP, he said, see that huge guy with the turban on his head? That's the guy that was going to tear me in half like a chicken. He said, see those two guys with him? Those are also two of the, guys that, two of the five guys that were going to kill me. Now they're all worshiping God, saved. Their whole families were saved. And that story is not an isolated story of commitment. Many of the missionaries, when they go into a village, they will dig their grave on the outskirts of that village knowing they may be killed there for preaching the gospel. I talked to a pastor recently who visited a few of the missionary training centers in India. He met one missionary in, in one training center. That, that This missionary had had both his eyes gouged out for preaching the gospel. 
And this pastor said, the only reason I got to meet this brother is because with no eyes, he was out preaching the gospel again in another village and he was beaten so badly, he had to come back to the training center to heal up. It's amazing. We lose about 10 or 12 missionaries every year on the mission field that are killed because they know that our Lord suffered and died for them. And they know that a servant is no greater than his master. And he's the same Lord that suffered and died for us. And that's the heart he wants us to have. He's probably not going to call us to go dig our graves on the way into a village. He's probably not going to call us to go to a place where they might gouge our eyes out. But God gives us the privilege of reaching out to our neighbors and friends and family members and co-workers and people in India and China and Bhutan and Bangladesh and wherever he would lead us to go. God gives us the privilege of giving our lives back to him as an offering that we might see hundreds and thousands of people in heaven. And I, I, I challenge you to be people who live for eternity, who live with an outward focus because we get saved. And you know that, that we talk about missions and the church. The missions is not a part of the church. Missions didn't, didn't come out of the church. The church came out of the mission. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He is on a mission. The church is a mission. Missions is not just a part of what we do. It's who we are. And if we're the body of Christ and we're a healthy body of Christ, we, are, we realize we are on a mission. We are part of the mission. That's what the church is. And, and I just challenge you to take that seriously and to realize that's who we are. We're the body of Christ reaching out with his love. And you know, God is pouring out his spirit and reaping a harvest like no time in history. And it is amazing to see in some of these countries where it's so difficult to work what God is doing. We get reports back all the time of amazing things. Recently, Brother KP was in India. We have times where we gather the missionaries and pastors for for teaching and encouragement. Brother KP was teaching at one of these meetings about 400 missionaries. And and as he's teaching, he sees one brother bent over, obviously in a lot of pain. And he asked the brother, he said, what happened? He said, were you beaten? Because so many of the missionaries are. When I was in Punjab in northern India, I got to meet one leader, and we were talking about the missionaries being beaten and stoned and killed for their faith. And I said, well, how many of the missionaries that go out on the field are going to at least be beaten? And he shook his head. He said, all of them. All of them will be beaten. So when Brother KP sees his brother bent over in pain, he says, what happened, brother? He said, were you beaten? And the brother said, no. He said, yesterday I had to baptize 88 new believers and my legs and back are aching from bending over in the cold river all day. And <laughs> Brother KP said, wow, 88 new believers. Praise the Lord. He said, I'll pray for you. And the missionary said, please do. He said, because tomorrow I have to baptize 133 more people. You know, <laughs> it's like hallelujah. You know, and it is harvest time like no time in history. In fact, in the last 10 years, Gospel for Asia has seen 22,000 churches planted and fellowships planted in previously unreached villages. We're seeing on average 12 churches and fellowships planted every day. It is incredible. Uh, one of our, uh, our, our guys on staff, our photographer, just came back from India. He got talking with, with one missionary. He found out this missionary has planted six churches. And out of these six churches, 45 more missionaries have been raised up to go reach the lost. That's just from one missionary's work. It is harvest time like no time in history. Gospel for Asia now has 14,000 missionaries on the field reaching unreached villages. And uh, we've got radio broadcast in 92 different languages. We're seeing 100,000 letters a month coming in from people saying they receive the Lord or they want to know more about him. We've got printing presses in southern India with a seminary and, and a printing press. We've, we've printed and distributed, uh, last year we printed and distributed 300 million pieces of gospel literature. And it is just amazing. It is harvest time like no time in history. We've seen entire villages come to Christ through single gospel tracts. And it is incredible what God is doing. But still today, as we're here this morning, about half of our world's population is unreached with the gospel. 
And if I could leave you with three applications or three suggestions from today's message, the first one would be that you get a world map and you hang it up in your home and you get serious about prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And that's his desire, that each one of us would be a house of prayer, that, that corporately together, when we receive the Lord, our body, is a holy, holy, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, God indwells us. And he wants that to be the defining statement of our lives, that we would be a house of prayer. And I challenge you, go to bed earlier. Take, get up, uh, set your alarm and get up an hour earlier. Spend time on your knees or going for a prayer walk, but get serious about prayer. Praying for your neighbors and coworkers and people in China and Japan and Iraq and Iran and India, people that haven't heard the gospel. But take prayer seriously. And we have some world maps at the table downstairs. If you want to get a world map there, you're welcome to come get one. But get one from somewhere, hang it up, and get serious about prayer. That's how we're going to see the kingdom of God advance is through us getting serious in prayer. We're the army that advances on our knees. And, and secondly, I challenge you to simplify your lives, to live for eternity and to not live for the things of this world. We are so blessed in this country. We live in Disneyland compared to most of the rest of the world. And half of the world lives on less than $2 a day. And why do you think God has blessed us so much? Is it just so that we can have more stuff and, and better, fancier houses and cars? And You know, I don't believe it. God says in, in Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, he says, I will bless you and you will be the blessing. You will be a blessing to the nations. And we can simplify our lives and we can reach multitudes with the gospel. You know that $1 can print 250 gospel tracts for people that are desperate and hungry for the word of God. And on average, where Gospel Fraser missionaries are working, in unreached villages, every tract is read by 10 different people. And $1 prints 250 tracts times 10 people. That's 2,500 people hearing the gospel for the first time in their lives for a dollar. Think about what we could do if we were willing to simplify our lives. And I just challenge you, whether it's your time or your resources, ask God to help you to, to simplify your life, to live for eternity, to not be living for the things of this world. And so first, I challenge you, get serious about prayer, get a world map. Secondly, simplify your lives to live for eternity. And thirdly, I, just, I challenge you to pray about going as a missionary. God is, wants to send us, and I just challenge you to pray and ask the Lord if he would call you to go. But if he's not calling you to go, then I challenge you to, to, to be more serious about missions, and I challenge you to be a sender. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call upon him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? But nobody has been sent to three billion people on our planet. And I challenge you, if God is not going to call you to go, I challenge you to be a sender and, and to support the missionaries that you have on the field. And, and, and I'm not, you know, and, and just to let you know, one of the things that we're doing uh, through Gospel for Asia, we have... Uh, uh, the 14,000 missionaries, we've got thousands more that are willing to go, but they don't have people to send them. It's about $100 a month to fully support a native missionary uh, in Asia. It's about $5,000 a month to support your average Western missionary. We know God calls Western missionaries, but it's about 50 to 1. We can send 50 of these brothers who know the language, know the culture, and God is doing an awesome work through their lives. And I just want to give you the opportunity this morning to, to link your life with a missionary on the field uh, what we do at Gospel for Asia is we take that $100 a month and we break it up over three or four people. So for $30 a month, you can link your life with a missionary on the field. It's the price of a cup of coffee or a cheeseburger. Uh, you know, if you get your coffee at Starbucks, you could support a small army of native missionaries. You know, and, and, uh, and I'm not telling you to give up your Starbucks. You might pray about it. But, um, you know, as a church, we spend more money on dog food than we do on missions. 
is tragic. And I'm not telling you to go home and starve your dog. You know, I'm sorry, Bowser, this is going to the mission field, you know. But, you know, but we can simplify our lives. And for a dollar a day, you can link your life with a missionary. And um, we have these cards out at the table downstairs. You're welcome to come and just fill one out. And you don't have to have any money with you today to do this. And I hear us men need to be told things twice. So for us men, I'll say it again. You don't have to have any money with you to do this. Just come downstairs, fill out a card, give it to me. In exchange, I'll give you your missionary uh, or your missionaries, and you can take them home with you. Um, and uh, it has a photograph and a testimony of your missionary and, and uh, information about their ministry. You'll get updates at least once or twice a year letting you know uh, how you can pray for them and what's happening in their ministry. And these guys will go out. They'll plant, on average, a church and a half in their first year on the mission field. My wife and I help support five missionaries, and we've already planted five churches. We've had three of them become self-supporting because they, the guys plant a church that grows to a size to where they're supporting him as a pastor. He doesn't need our money anymore. Gospel for Asia sends us a letter saying, your missionary doesn't need your money. Do you want to support another missionary? We say, yes, please. We'll plant another church. And now three of our missionaries have gone self-supporting, and two of the guys we're supporting now are both pastoring churches, they tell us in their updates. So we know it'll just be a matter of time. They'll be self-supporting. We'll plant some more churches. And it's just it's a privilege that God gives us to do this. And I, I don't want you to think about doing this because I got up here and I told sad stories and you think, well, I'm a rich American. I better give my you know, dollar a day. You know, God doesn't need our money. He's not broke. And when I hear people on television or radio and they say, if you don't send in your money, I'm going to have to go off the air. You know, sometimes I say, well, maybe you should go off the air. I mean, maybe that's God's leading. I don't know, you know. Or, you know but, but God is able. Where God guides, God provides, you know. But he doesn't need our money. But if you consider it a privilege to reach a loss where there's still time, I challenge you to give you the opportunity to come down and fill out a card and take a missionary or two home with you today. And uh, again, I just certainly appreciate this church and your heart for missions. It's wonderful to see the involvement uh, that this church has. And, and um, real quick before we pray, we'd love to give you uh, one of these books, Revolution World Missions. We've had thousands of people say this book has changed their lives. Very challenging, eye-opening book. All we ask you come downstairs and just fill out a card and that will get you our free missions magazine in the mail. Uh, it's got lots of stories from the mission field, amazing things the Lord is doing and reaching the lost. Uh, we've also got some other books and videos, the world maps, as I mentioned. All of our world maps, videos, DVDs, and books, suggested donation, $5. Uh, Revolution World Missions is free, but the rest are suggested donation, $5. If you don't have money, you're welcome to take whatever you want. Uh, if you don't want to pay for it, just go ahead and take it for free. Uh, this book, if you say, you know, I'd like to simplify my life, and really live with the Lord's priorities, but how do I do that? This is a very good book for that, a very challenging. It also has practical suggestions. It's called The Road to Reality. Um, another book, people read it like a devotional book, very challenging uh, book, short little two- and three-page chapters. I've talked to several people from different churches recently that said they don't allow anybody in their church to do any kind of mission trip or anything without reading this book. It's not a missions book. It's about our walk with the Lord, but it's very challenging. And this book, Come, Let's Reach the World, it really has an in-depth look at what's happening in the world and what's not and, and why and how we can really reach the world. Again, suggest a donation of $5. You're welcome to take it for free. This DVD, I wish every Christian in America could watch this. It's a mes message given by K.P. Ohanan. Just a powerful message about God's heart for the lost. We've got a couple other uh, DVDs. And this one, it, it shows uh, missionaries on the field and what their lives are like. Uh, it's, it shows one missionary. He's planted 85 fellowships, one missionary. It's just amazing uh, testimonies. But um, uh, again, uh, you're welcome to come and take whatever you'd like. But why don't we uh, go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the awesome God. And we know, Father, that one day, and we know it will be one day soon, this earth is going to be judged with fire. And Father, you are going to take us out of here. We are going to be in heaven with you. 
in a place that's so awesome that no eye has seen, no mind has conceived uh, what you have prepared for us. And we're going to be in heaven for eternity. And Father, help us to live in light of that fact. Help us to live knowing that many, many people are going to be in hell for eternity and that you've called us to be a people that reach out and share your love and your truth with others. Father, bless, continue to bless the missions work of this church. It's wonderful to hear what an impact they've made in, in people's lives. And Father, we pray that you continue to call people from this church to go out. We pray that you would bless the prayer lives of everybody in this church. Help us to be people who pray, Lord, and who are committed to prayer. And help us, Father, to simplify our lives that we might live for eternity and not for the things of this world that are so temporary. We pray that you would call people to go to the mission field from this church. And we also pray that you would put it on people's hearts that you, uh, any of us that you would want to be senders, to link our lives with the missionaries on the field. Just put it on our hearts even now. And Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you're the awesome God. We love you and worship you. And in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you. And, and God bless you. And thank you again so much for your partnership with us. And I don't know if uh, any of you have noticed, but... Um, uh, God's blessing me this morning. Did you see what's outside the window? It's snowing. <laughs> yeah, let's give Stratton a hand. Huh? Yeah. Thank you. Would you stand and uh, let, let me just close in prayer. And make sure uh, after the service you go right downstairs, grab a cup of coffee, and come here. Nancy Van Antwerp talk about her ministry in uh, Western Japan. Let's pray. Lord, we do just pray that you would open up our eyes to see the harvest fields, that they are like the snow outside. They're white. They're ready to be harvested. Lord Jesus, rescue us from the, the, uh, the culture in which we live that keeps us so focused on ourselves and on things. And Lord, we pray that not out of guilt, but out of a heart full of love, and joy and excitement, we would invest ourselves more and more. Help us, Lord, to simplify our lives. Help us, Lord, to find ways to give of our time and our money to prayer, to missions, to your work. Lord, help us to keep that, that picture in our minds that Strat painted for us, that this world is destined to be burned. And that, Lord Jesus, heaven is, is our home. And God, help us to live as if those truths were part of our lives, that we really believed it. Lord, thank you for this church guide us, lead us as we think about how to be used more and more for your glory. In Jesus' name.